So today's reading is taken from Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 17, starting from verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is the word of God. Well, can I just uh, add my welcome to Simon's? It's great to see uh, so many people here today. Um, If you'd keep your Bibles open at Luke 18, that would be fantastic. And as we come to that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you want to have a relationship with us, that you speak through your word in order that that might be so. Help us to listen now and to hear everything that is your word, and to put it into practice. Amen. So, I'll come to church when I'm ready, once I've sorted myself out, a drunk replied to one minister's invitation. Another man used to sit at the back of church, not getting involved, and left as quickly as possible. It turns out the man felt so guilty about the decisions he'd had to make at the end of his wife's life that he felt unable to be a part of the church. It all raises the question, who's church for? Is it for the well-to-do who have their lives sorted out? Who's on the guest list for God's kingdom? That's the question which we see Jesus addressing in this section of Luke's biography of Jesus. In Luke 17.20, Jesus had told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God was already in their midst, which raises the question, where? Who's in it? And it's these questions which Jesus addresses in the passages we've heard today. And what significant questions for Luke's first reader? We see at the very start of this gospel, he's writing so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Those things, according to verse 1, being the things that have been fulfilled among us. So we know the reader had heard the Christian message, but they needed confidence in what they'd heard. Was it really worth committing to? What a significant question this passage's question is for that reader. If they wanted to be on God's side, to be God's friend, then they needed to know who are God's people. Who's in the kingdom of God? Is it the cultural establishment in the pagan temple? 
Is it the respectable religious people at the synagogue? Or is it the churches like the one Paul set up in Corinth? The churches Paul described in his letters as being comprised of the foolish and least in society. It's a question we might ask ourselves. Who are God's people? Or in more secular terms, who's on the right side of history? Who should I have confidence to side with? The HR department at work? The in-crowd at school? The cathedral? Grace Church Broccoli? Who's in God's kingdom? Who will enter it? Jesus' answer, and a surprising one, is that the kingdom of God does not belong to the righteous, but to those who humble themselves and receive it as children. That's the message Luke wants you and I to take away from his gospel today. That God's kingdom is given to those who humble themselves and receive God's mercy like children. In Jesus' teaching today, we're going to see that God's kingdom isn't for the self-righteous. Instead, God's kingdom is for sinners who receive it humbly. Indeed, for sinners who receive it humbly like babies. So God's kingdom isn't for the self-righteous. Righteousness isn't enough. When it comes to who will be part of God's kingdom, human goodness, our good deeds, aren't enough to put us on good terms with God. If we'd asked who people think deserve to go to heaven, I wonder who they'd say. The charity founder, the political activist, the environmentalist, the human rights lawyer. We're going to see that Jesus says that asking who deserves to go into heaven is entirely the wrong question. Luke begins in verse 9 by telling us that Jesus was telling this story to some people who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. They needed to learn something from Jesus about their confidence and contempt. So he tells them this story about two men who went up to the temple to pray. See verse 10. One of them a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. To set the scene, Pharisees were the respectable religious elite of their day. They weren't priests, they worked jobs, but they were very serious about their religion. They were mostly middle-class businessmen and sometimes leaders of synagogues. They were the religious, moral, social and business leaders of their time. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were traitors, scum. Israel was conquered by Rome and forced to obey Roman rule. And tax collectors were people who, instead of standing with their own brothers, had literally sold them out. They'd bought the right from Rome to tax their fellow citizens to take from them the taxes that paid for the occupying soldiers and a generous cut on the side for themselves. In a country that was desperately waiting for God's king to free them from the emperor in Rome, the tax collectors had sided with the emperor in Rome. They were the materially well-off rats of their society. To update the picture then, it's as if Jesus had said, Clive the charity CEO and Loz the loan shark walk into a church. And the two men go into the temple, and Jesus contrasts their behaviour. Look in verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself. He didn't want to mix with the riffraff in the temple. He was far too good for them. Um, So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What a snob. And what a prayer. He doesn't ask for anything. Notice what his mind's on. How many times he repeats the word I. He's entirely self-obsessed. He stood there apart from everyone else, praising not God, but himself. And yet, what he said from a human standpoint is true. He's not like other people looking from a human perspective. Looking at achievement, he is better than them. Where the law requires one fast a year, he gives up food twice a week. Where it demands a tenth to be given from oil, grain and wine, he gives away a tenth of everything he gets. In a sense, in a sense he is righteous. He does do more good things than those around him. So he definitely fits into that category from the start of one who was confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. You can see it. I thank you that I'm not like other people. Literally, in the original language, it says not like the rest. Thank you that I'm not like everyone else. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. To be honest, I'm surprised he got into the temple with a head that big. Why does he think he can get away with this? Well, it's because he's confident that he's on good terms with God because of all the good stuff he's done. So there we have the proudly righteous Pharisee distancing himself from the crowd and praising his own virtues. But if we skip to the end of Jesus' story, Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you that this man, speaking about the tax collector, rather than the other, rather than that confident Pharisee, went home justified before God. That is the tax collector, not the confident Pharisee, went home in a good relationship, being approved of by God. For the Pharisee, the righteousness he was so confident in wasn't enough. If we could see now a guest list of who's in God's kingdom, it would surprise us. Because it's not made up of people who are confident they've got life sorted and that they're good people. Imagine Clive, the charity CEO, has walked into church today, sat down smugly thinking, aren't I great? I've done so much to help children and animals. I've all the right opinions. How good am I? But God's verdict is, nah mate, not good enough. Because our righteousness isn't enough. God's kingdom isn't for the self-righteous. But, and quite an important but, if human righteousness, if people's good behaviour isn't enough to get into God's kingdom, what is? How did the tax collector end up in when the Pharisee was out? Why is there any hope for him? And Loz, the loan shark. And indeed, why is there any hope for us? It's because God's kingdom isn't for the self-righteous, but for sinners who humbly repent. 
who receive it humbly. Only those who humble themselves before God end up right before him. Let's go back to look at what Jesus says about this justified tax collector. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. You can see him there, too ashamed to be part of the group. His eyes down, perhaps stood near the door to make a speedy exit. And he beats his chest. Here is the tax collector in the temple, so grief-stricken. Not about a lost loved one, but about his sin, his shame. That he's beating his chest. I don't think it's a stretch to imagine tears. He must have looked a state. Would we have been tempted to take a step away from him? I'm ashamed to say I probably would. And then there's his prayer. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Again, accurate. He's undoubtedly a sinner. He doesn't think he has anything to bring to God. No fasting or tithing with which to commend himself to his maker. Only the grieving knowledge that he has been a traitor against God. And so his prayer is entirely focused, not on himself, but on what God can do for him. God have mercy on me, a sinner. There's the tax collector in the temple where sacrifices were made, asking God to have mercy on him. Asking that the sacrifice would work, that it would deal with his sin. What a contrast with the Pharisee who waltzes in there as if he were perfectly sinless and good. And then, for Jesus' audience, comes the shock of the story, as we've seen already. Because this tax collector's prayer is answered. See again, let's marvel at this. See verse 14 again. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. If you'd asked the people standing around Jesus which of the two men was in God's kingdom, they'd have said the Pharisee without a doubt. How could it not be? The Pharisee has so much going for him. He fasts, he tithes. What more could you want? He'd be a Jewish father's dream as a son-in-law. Surely it couldn't be the tax collector that's in. Not the traitor who's wasted his life with God's enemies. The greedy, money-grabbing scum. Yet fortunately for us, What Jesus says is that this tax collector, rather than the other, is the one who went home justified before God. The tax collector who asks for mercy is the one who leaves as God's friend. It's the tax collector who's part of God's kingdom. Why this surprising reveal? Because as Jesus says in verse 14, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee who exalts himself, who praises his own virtue, who is confident in his righteousness, leaves humbled. But the tax collector who goes into the temple seeking forgiveness, who humbles himself before God, who uses the temple for what it's there for, is the one who leaves exalted, lifted up by God into right relationship with him. 
When Loz, the loan shark, goes and says to God, whether he's in a church or anywhere else, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me. God doesn't say, get away from me, you scumbag. He says, come home, son. God's people aren't who you'd expect them to be. The church isn't for people who've sorted their lives out first. Thank God. It's for those who humble themselves and seek God's forgiveness. And you know what? He's more than willing to forgive. He wants to forgive you and me. He loves to be with his forgiven people who've done nothing to earn his love. No, God's kingdom isn't for the self-righteous, but for sinners who receive it humbly. And what does humbling ourselves look like? That's the question we've got to ask next. And we see in the next section of the reading that Luke brought to us, that humbling ourselves means receiving like children. God's kingdom is for sinners who humbly receive it like babies. Because we might well ask after hearing Jesus say in verse 14 that those who humble themselves will be exalted. What do we need to do to humble ourselves? The tax collector asks for mercy. So it seems to be something to do with repenting. Is it like that bit in Indiana Jones, where as he seeks the Holy Grail, Indy is faced with the instruction, the penitent man shall pass, only to realise in the nick of time that he needs to kneel to avoid having his head chopped off. No. Do we need to do a certain amount of groveling and kneeling before God and then we're in? Not at all. That would be to trade one form of righteous act for another. The Pharisee was well acquainted with doing penitent acts. He's told us he fasts twice a week, and yet he never asked for mercy. He was prepared to act penitently, but not to repent. Now, as we saw with the tax collector, humbling ourselves means seeking God's mercy. It means acknowledging our need for forgiveness and our need to change. And as we see in the next section, humbling ourselves means receiving God's kingdom as a gift like children. See in verse 17, Jesus' words, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. If you look up to verse 15, people are bringing babies to Jesus. And it might help us to picture this, to know that the word used here is used elsewhere to describe a baby that is still in the womb. Jesus wants to highlight the fact that tiny little babies were being brought to Jesus for him to pray over them. Imagine little Abigail or Hugo, or Sophie, the day they were born, so small and weak and dependent. And if you keep looking at verse 15, when the disciples see this, they rebuke the people for bringing babies to Jesus. But Jesus says, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Who's in God's kingdom? Well, it belongs to such as these, these little children, these babies. When you picture a royal court, babies aren't the first thing that come to mind, are they? Picture a garden party at Buckingham Palace. Are there babies there? 
Probably not. But if that garden party had been a picture of Jesus' kingdom, the queen would have been there with a garden full of dummy-sucking, nappy-wearing babies. It's a regal image, isn't it? But what does it mean to be like these little children? Let's start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we get in by being as innocent as a little child. For a start, as the parents here will know, little children are hardly innocent. And just look at the examples of people Luke shows us who get into the kingdom. Because they are like these little children. The tax collector here and Zacchaeus later on. The criminal crucified beside Jesus on the cross. They receive the kingdom. They're like little children. But they're hardly innocent. Now it's not that they're a picture of who gets in because they're innocent. But because of how they receive Jesus' blessing. Look back at verse 17. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Humbling ourselves, the condition of entry into the kingdom looks like receiving the kingdom in the same way as these babies receive Jesus' blessing. That is to say entirely as a gift, without having done anything to earn it. Because the babies hadn't done anything to receive Jesus' blessing. People had to bring them to Jesus. They couldn't get there by themselves. They can't make a case for why Jesus should bless them. I mean, what have they got to offer? They can eat, belch, sleep and fill a nappy. It's hardly a great CV. It's ridiculous to imagine them like the Pharisee, confident in their own righteousness, trying to impress Jesus with it. Now, they receive Jesus' blessing just as we must receive the kingdom, just as the tax collector does, entirely as a merciful gift, having done nothing to earn it. Isn't that a humbling thought? It can seem so insulting. And yet it's an amazing truth too. If you're a Christian here today, you're in God's kingdom because you're like a little baby. I'm afraid to say no, it's not because you're cute like a baby, but because you and I are entirely helpless, frequently make a large mess, and Jesus loved you so much, he saved you anyway. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here today, if you feel you've made a total mess of life, or if you're sat here trying to get into God's good books by doing the right thing, look at Jesus here. Listen to what he says. Let the little children come to me. Please don't feel like you need to get yourself sorted or that you're too far gone for Jesus. He's the one who says that all those who humbly seek his mercy will be exalted. He's the one who welcomes little babies. He already knows everything you and I have ever done. He knows every way you and I are going to stuff up in the future. And yet he says, come to me, receive forgiveness, find mercy in my arms, enter my kingdom. There's a picture of Jesus in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40 that says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. 
Isn't that just the Jesus we see here welcoming the little children? Isn't that just the Jesus we see here welcoming you and me? That's what he was doing at the cross. Dying as the temple sacrifice. The price of mercy and forgiveness for you and me. He died to welcome us as little children into his kingdom. So what? Jesus has taught us that God's kingdom isn't for the self-righteous, but for sinners who humbly receive it like babies, which leaves one question. So what? Why does Jesus, why does Luke record these incidents from Jesus' life? Perhaps our teenagers are asking, why should I listen to a talk about how entry into God's kingdom is a gift for like the thousandth time? Perhaps you are. And we mustn't rush our application of what Jesus is saying here. Firstly, we need to receive the kingdom like a little child. We need to know that what Jesus says here is true for us. But then we need to be cautious because there's a long history of reading passages in Luke which describe the Pharisees as though they're written as warnings to believing Christians. And this parable was meant as a rebuke to those hearing Jesus. And we do need to guard against self-righteousness. But that doesn't seem to be the reason why Luke lets us hear these words. The Pharisees were the social, religious elite of Jesus' day. And we know the Pharisees had already rejected Jesus and were trying to silence and kill him. Now, I don't know if anyone here would come under the category of social, religious elite But I'd hope that no one here is in the category that thinks killing Jesus sounds like a good idea. And Luke doesn't tell Theophilus that he's writing to make sure he's not a self-righteous snob. But so that he might have confidence in the things he's been taught. And when we read this parable together with the following accounts, we don't see a picture of the evils of self-righteousness carrying on through them. But an encouraging picture of the kind of people who are in God's kingdom. I'm terribly sorry to say, but the next three weeks are going to be slightly repetitive. Um, But it's a wonderful message that we do so well to hear again and again as a reminder to carry on. What a source of confidence for the first reader as they felt the pull of the gospel and others in society. You can just imagine the first reader being approached by someone like those Jesus was talking to and being told, Oh, you don't want to get mixed up with that Christian lot. That Marcus was always drunk as a skunk. And Mary, you you know she was a prostitute. No, you're much better sticking with us. What a comfort for them to know that God's kingdom has always been a kingdom of grace and mercy, open to the broken. That's why it needed a temple. That's why ultimately it needed Jesus, the final sacrifice to deal with people's sins so that they could experience God's mercy. For them to know that they didn't have to pull themselves up by the bootstraps to hide their failings and try to maintain the image of righteousness to be part of God's kingdom. For them to know that God has reached out in love to bring into his kingdom not the righteous Pharisee, but the humble sinner. What an encouragement for us as we face those who are confident in their own goodness, 
but have rejected Jesus and his offer of mercy. When we're confronted in the school corridor, the students' union and the HR department, when they ask, you're not one of those evangelical types, are you? With the implicit thrust of, you don't want to get mixed up with them. Leave them. Join us. We're so nice and tolerant and just. We can have confidence that God is not impressed by those who exalt their own righteousness and goodness. We can have confidence to know that God is with those who come to him knowing they're not righteous, not good, and that he lovingly grants them mercy in Jesus. We can have no confidence in our own righteousness, but we can have confidence in God's mercy that he has brought us into his kingdom, that he has offered his grace to us, and that offer of grace reaches out to those around us, even to those who confront us in their confidence. You and I have no grounds for thinking we're better than them, but we can have confidence in what God has done and will do. We can have confidence knowing that although righteousness isn't enough, Those who humble themselves will enter the kingdom of God. And that humbling ourselves means receiving the loving welcome of Jesus like little children. We can have confidence knowing that God's kingdom is not for the self-righteous, but for sinners like you and me, who humbly receive it like babies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus in your great mercy. Thank you that you have brought us through that mercy into your kingdom as we humbly repent and trust in you. Thank you that we're now hidden with Christ in the heavenly places. Help us to marvel at your love for us, to be encouraged to stand in it with confidence. And give us the same heart of love to reach out with your grace to those around us. I pray you'd be with us now in the weeks ahead, helping us to look to what you've done for us in those moments where we need that reassurance of your love. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.